Yo. Yo. Shots fired for fuck's sake. Shots fired for fuck's sake. You know that shots fired. Shots fired, yeah. You know that shots fired. Shots fired, yeah. Shots fired for fuck's sake. Shots fired for fuck's sake. You know that shots fired. Shots fired, yeah. You know that shots fired. Shots fired, yeah. Okay, we're back again like Osman Asatar. I can't believe, I seriously, I know it's kind of like, you know, a week or two removed from that. I just can't believe that my guy is like Teflon Bulletproof. But anyway, I, I, I digress. It's just- Well, 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 no, 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 no. But like, I'm gonna flip this, flip this. Did you not see what Ali Abdelaziz said was in the bag? No. Did you not no, see? No, oh, he, he did an interview with uh, with Kevin Ioli and he said, and I'm not bullshitting you when I say this, and I know I fucked up the flow of whatever, but I just had to get it in there. He said that potatoes were in the bag. Potatoes? Big lie. You. I'm not lying. Google it. Google, that's what he said was in it. Twitter search it. That's what he said was in the thing. He did an interview to Kevin Ioli. Uh, potatoes. So I... I, I... Okay, maybe we're doing this to death, but I'm intrigued now. You've got me. I'm going to bite. How do you actually do anything with raw potatoes? Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, bro. <laughs> Unless it's them African pounding yams. That's the... I don't know. Wow. wow. He said on video. He did. Wow. I'm looking he at YouTube. Video. He said potatoes, bro. He just... Is, was it just potatoes? No, or no, potatoes and a woman, and, and a woman. <laughs> or, or, at least, or at least some relish, you know, to go with the potato. Wow, some mayo. Oh, he's lying. Oh, he even looks like he's lying to the veil. He was like thinking about it. it was like potatoes. potatoes. Yeah, I know. Oh, Here yeah. will lie. Yeah, it's it's a lie. I know, obviously, but I mean, <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're right. You have you have caught me off guard and off flow. <laughs> for my, my, my wicked intro, but I'm glad I know that now. That has like put that to bed because I did wonder. Look, we've got quite a lot on the docket this week. Uh, rest up G, no G this week. Yep. She is um, in recovery now. So she hopefully will be back by the time that we record on the weekend. But I'm gonna kick things off. Look, I'm all for smack talk. I'm all for keeping it real. I'm all for entertaining the fans, but when does keeping it real get a lit too, little bit too real and a little bit too raw? What I'm talking about is, look, we've got Piotr Jan versus Aljamain Sterling this weekend. But in the build-up to that, Piotr Jan thought it was uh, high jinks, funny, and um, the height of entertainment to single out a homeless chap on the street who, I have to say, looked as though he was having... Um, a distressing time being on camera and in the midst of look like a mental health crisis as well, singled him out to call him Aljamain Sterling. Now, I get it. The build-up to a fight should be intriguing. It should beguile us. It should make us think, you know what? I'm tuning in to see someone's head get knocked off or him knock someone else's head off. But 
when do we overstep the mark? When is trash talk a little bit too excessive, a little bit too close to the bone? So that's my question to you. Is there a threshold? Is there a level where we say to ourselves, uh-uh, skirt, we need to pull back from this. And what is that level? First of all, just to get some kind of like barometer on levels, was that out of order what Pyotian did? I'm going to go with Kairos first up. It was out of line, but only because it involved somebody else that wasn't his target. I think when we're talking about promotings, I would be a liar. I would be a liar if I was like, he went over the top because you can't talk about your opponent like that. No, I'm a huge fan of 50 Cent. And that man is ruthless. He talks about everyone and he will talk about you for months. And so I would be a hypocrite to say that Peter Piotrian would be out of line if he did this and a homeless man or another person wasn't involved, but because someone else was involved who had nothing to do with this, who was going through their own problems. Yes. Yeah. It was out of order. It was completely out of order. To, like to one, just make light of the clear mental health issues that this person is exhibiting that didn't sit, sit right with me. And, just, and it was just how comfortable and how easy it came to him. And I, I also remember, I think in the following, it was on Instagram, it was an, an, his Instagram story. And I think the next one, he was uh, videoing somebody who was like drunk as hell out as, as well at the, at, at the same time. And wow. whether it was drunk as hell as in they'd been partying that day or if it was drunk as hell as in they're an alcoholic and they're out on the street and what have you. And I think, as, as Kyra said, when it's uh, when you're involving somebody that isn't the target of, of, of well, who... Or who uh, Sorry, when you're involving somebody who isn't the target, and you're bringing them into your your beef with with somebody else, especially somebody, let alone somebody who clearly has mental health problems, I think it's wrong. And but it goes back to the the preamble before the McGregor Khabib fight. I mean, a lot yeah. of people are like, you don't talk about religion, you don't talk about what have you, and I mean. There are certain aspects of it that I of of, of the sentiment that was uh, being bandied about at that time, which I agreed with, but at the same time, I, I mean, it it added to the it, it added to the pay per view, it added to the story, it added to the na narrative. But I mean, for me, like, what what's the mafia's code? It's it's no no women, no children, no. no yeah, I mean, you leave th those things are sacred. You leave that out. For me, I'd I'd like to think that you could I, I like to think fighters could could trash talk and shit talk without having to bring up religion and and uh things of, of inf that are an inflammable nature like that but some people do it and I, I i think the precedent's been set the precedent's been set set with uh with connor nobody else has, has gone that route and i don't think anybody else is going to take it but or take it further than that but i've yeah i mean I'm like Kairos. I'd, I'd be a liar if I didn't say that it also added to to uh, the pageantry of fighting and and the the build up, the preamble to fights. Mike, do you agree with that rule about no women and no children allowed? I do. I, I do because for me, there is a sacredness when you're bringing children into the mix who are completely innocent and have nothing to do with 
the actual argument or the actual beef or the disagreement, plus women as well. Someone's wife is a million miles removed from the gym, but you're involving her as well. But I'll add one more to that. And that's why I asked about the actual threshold. I'll add mental health in there as well. You've got a homeless chap who is clearly distressed, who's clearly in the midst of a mental health crisis, but you thought it funny to actually involve him. But like I'm saying, I'm trying to get your threshold now because I'm glad you mentioned the whole Khabib Connor uh, situation, the scenario, because that to me, that got a pass. It got a pass because it did what it said on the tin. It got under Khabib's skin. Yeah. And there were no children involved and there were no women involved and there was nothing to do with mental health. It did what Connor set out to do and that was it riled Khabib. So that's what I'm saying. In terms of thresholds, don't get me wrong. I'd be a hypocrite if I was to sit here and say, you know what? This trash talking, it's not for me. Dan Hardy did it exceptionally well. Paul Daly did it exceptionally well. Paul, um, Michael Vellum Page does it exceptionally well. You name it. Those trash talkers, those greats that we can like reel off, that's part of the whole buildup. That's part of the whole hype. That's part of the whole... Um, exchange that you know I feel is necessary to get some kind of like feeling behind the fight so with that gone it's a little bit boring a little bit stayed a little bit kind of like clinical yeah so no I need it yeah I, okay I, I I get that but there is there was aspects of like in, in particular when uh, a reporter at the the two the first 229 press conference said uh, salam alaikum to Habib and you saw, you heard the way in which Connor was just like, I was just like, I was like, what are you doing? I was like, I thought for me, I that that crossed the line. And what I also thought crossed the line uh, was the fact. Remember, he branded uh, Abdulmalap Nurmagomedov, the late Abdulmalap Nurmagomedov, a quivering coward who should, yeah. who is uh, bowing down to a Chechen or something, something along those along those lines. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs> That for me, I think that was a step too far. Yeah. But do you believe? Well, no. I'm I'm sure you, you you're both uh, in unanimous agreement with this. That remember when Connor called Habib's wife a towel? No, that's borderline racist to yeah. me. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I was about to say. Let's just clarify that. That that obviously is 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 the boundary, like uh, clear, clear as day. I mean, that is borderline racism, making making light of. Uh, of 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 a, of a, of a time honored custom in that in uh, in that culture, yeah, and but, being a woman as well. Now, nah. yeah, of course, that get a pass. You know, no, that doesn't, and and, and quite rightly, he was uh, he was derided for it. I, I mean, most people didn't didn't stand for it, and we've seen well, we 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 see on the timeline people making all sorts of defenses for behavior that Conor McGregor has done, and not just Conor. Let's mm-hmm. just there there are other fighters who obviously have questionable. Uh, behaviors and, and morals but even nobody defended that whatsoever you're right i mean there have been some real greats in the past i mean the one that kind of like sticks um out and um, sticks in my mind is quite pertinent at the moment was dan hardy when he at the press conference with carlos condit um just before they met in london um he said to carlos condit look i'm gonna um knock you out stamp your passport and put you back on that plane unconscious. Now, that to me, I loved it. I oh, loved fine. 
because that was part of the kind of like pageantry of it all. But, you know, I know I'm kind of like digressing over say slightly, but what do we think of Dan Hardy? Again, um, this must be comeback number 357. Oh, For me, Dan yeah. Hardy saying that he's coming back has to be taken with a grain of salt that you get on a McDonald's fry, which is minuscule. Absolutely non-existent. That's why I always have to put salt on my McDonald's chips. But going back to my question, what do we think of Dan Hardy coming back? I mean, would I watch it? Yes, of course. But I mean, I, I know obviously there was a, there was a midst of the pandemic last year and, and what have you. So perhaps you could give him somewhat of a pass for that. But it's it's like you say, it's it's been he's been talking about it for for a while, like. I can't remember when he got the clearance from uh, from the doctor because obviously let's not forget he does have a it, it was a heart it was a it was a, Wolf Parkinson it was a heart condition it wasn't yeah wasn't anything to um I think it's called Wolf Parkinson well yeah I think it is Wolf Parkinson's or so, something along those lines but uh, yeah let's let's not forget it was a serious reason that forced him out of the out of the octagon but it, he's been cleared for I, I want to say close to two years now or 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 so or or I thought it was longer yeah so I mean but he's, he's talked about it for a long time mm. in in this in this game in combat sports and indeed in sports in general talk is cheap your actions speak louder than your words and I want to see the, I want I want to see him come back like let him have one more comeback fight I mean I'm trying to think he went on like a was it a two fight win streak after after because he lost four in a row yeah and, and that was it and th- no no he, he 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 came back he had two fights then he- yeah yeah he came back he are came we living back. in a parallel universe have i got my my facts completely wrong as you're speaking now i'm gonna go and look that up because i thought that his last fight was a loss and no, i thought no, it was no, no, four- no. was it amir sadala i know he beat amir sadala yeah, you're right. He went on a two fight winning streak. He beat Dwayne Ludwig and Amir Sadala. Ah, yeah, right. I, I'll there shut up. Go. All right. <sighs> uh, but Dwayne Ludwig, I'm, I'm not trying to shit on Hardy's wins or whatever, but Dwayne Ludwig towards the end of his career, obviously. And uh, Amir Sadala. I mean, no, Amir Sadala is a good win, but obviously he got back He got back in the win column. But he's been out of the octagon for how long now? Is it five years? Six years? Um, no, it's like nine. What? Are you talking about Dan Hardy? Yes. It's nine oh, years. It's been nine what? years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. And, and why I'm stuck on the whole four fight loss, because I remember at the time there was this whole question, why is Dan Hardy still in the UFC after four straight losses? Now, albeit, you know, give him his due, he did come back. And as you rightly put me straight after, um, you know, Chris Lytle um, submitted him. He came back and uh, beat Dwayne Ludwig, Dane Ludwig, Dane Ludwig, sorry, and uh, Amir Sadala. Now, for me, I, I know I'm digressing, and I'm no, I'm being really, really cheeky here because um, we normally have one topic each. But the reason why I mentioned um, Dan Hardy, as I say, was the whole um, trash talking element. But what, what's your whole take on Dan Hardy coming back, um, Cairo? Seeing as though we were on this hot topic, I think we need to give Dan Hardy exactly what he's asking for. And you know what? I want Herb Dean to ref it. <laughs> and, you know, what what division is he going to come back to? One seventy. Uh, he said he could make one fifty five. Do you not remember? You were saying for a but, while he can make one fifty five. But okay, good. 
Wow, <laughs> look at you. I was you, about to say, I want people, I want the listeners to like go into the recording and see <laughs> the look on Kairos's face. Yeah. Saying this. What, what do you have in mind? I, you know what? I, I have a few matchups in the back of my mind that I'm thinking about. We could, you know what? Why don't we give them Tony Ferguson? They're close to the same age. They're By the way, that's something that, okay, all right. I, I, I like, I like how you're, I or like how you're. Okay, yeah, there's some good, there's some good fights there. Yeah, good names there. I didn't even think. Cowboy's a good gatekeeper name, and I think that I, I out the two, I like that. Um, I know I remember seeing something earlier about a possibility that um, Nick Diaz might be in the in the frame. Soon as though they've been out of the cage. Okay, Nick Diaz less time than Dan Hardy, but there was still ring rust, cage rust in both circumstances there. So how about Nick Diaz? I'm down for it. I mean, if, 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 but I think we get a Nick Diaz where there wouldn't really be that much trash talk. Cause I think, I think he'd, 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 uh, he'd respect Hardy. So it would kind of be like similar. Remember the build up between uh, Nick and Anderson Silva. Mm. And it was just all Cody. And I remember in the countdown, he's like, well, what do you want me to say about it? I can't say anything bad about him. He's, he's, he's a great guy, blah, blah, blah. But I'm all I'm I'm down for that fight, 100% down for that fight. And the thing is with the UFC, if they are going to get back in the Nick Diaz business, they need to. They can't just throw him in in with the in with the wolves. Do you do you know what I mean? They can't just. Yeah, yeah it's it's got to be somebody who who's to, towards the end of their career and has had a similarish layoff. But mm-hmm. for the life of me, I did not believe. I did not know. That it was nine years since Dan Hardy is four. That is it's like eight and some change. It's eight, eight and some change. change. Okay, fair enough. But that even even then, like as I said, I thought it was like five or six years ago. I didn't think it was that long, but I mean time flies in the sport. Evidently. But, speaking of time flying, I don't want to hog the proceedings considering, as I say, we do have one <laughs> each. And I've been extra cheeky and like slipping in that as it was pertinent. But I'm gonna hand over to Kairos now, who um I understand has got a related. Uh, shots fired issue that he's bringing to the table. Yes. <clears throat> MMA and as well as the UFC, they have, they've had so much success. Over the past few decades, they have taken leaps and bounds in popularity from not just people who like violence, but people who understand that it's an art form and people who love the characters and people who love all of that sort of thing. And with that comes the evolution of technology. We're now a lot more intimate with these fighters and athletes and managers and all these people. They're at the touch of our fingertips. We have these chats on Clubhouse. We have stuff on Twitter. We saw that we were talking with Robin Black, Angela Hill hopped in, Lerone Murphy hopped in. Like we have all this connection with these fighters and these people in the sport, which helps the sport grow even more. And as as well as further um, helps fighters become more, um, I guess, aware in the eyes of fans. But is this a bad thing? And I'm going to say, I'm going to stick my head out here and I say, I think this is going to turn to something bad. And here's why. The more access we have to these people, the more ways they have to just destroy their careers. We've seen back in 2007, these people had flip phones and still managed to record themselves doing stupid shit. And then people seeing it years later and then it coming back to haunt them. I think we're going to get to a point where there's going to be situations where fighters are coming into these chat rooms thinking that they're safe because you can't screen record the audio and then someone just having a second phone recording this shit and then having it just for a rainy day and then just post it. Boom. Remember when you called so-and-so the N-word? Remember when you said that person's a nappy-headed hoe? Remember when you like, and I feel like that right there is going to hurt the sport because a lot of fighters are going to be like, well, I see what happens to people who extend themselves to the fans and they make one mistake and then they're just branded with an iron forever for it. I think that with 
the advancement of technology, I think it's going to start hurting us more so than it's been helping us in the past. But what do you two think? And I'm going with G. No, I'm joking. Uh, let's go with Michael. <laughs> okay, I agree with you in terms of um, the capability and the ability to capture, um, let's just no, not put too fine a point on it, fuck ups, is ever increasing. Like you say, look, we've got Clubhouse and we now have spaces. Speaking of spaces, quick plug, we are doing a spaces with Robin Black and guests on Wednesday at 3.30 Eastern and 8.30 UK time. So if you are free, come on, hop on and uh, join in the conversation via Twitter spaces, which is live. But we do have more and more of these opportunities cropping up to speak with fighters, Think about it, from the evolution of MySpace to what we have now in real time speaking to people, there's always been that ability to capture people's, um, well, indiscretions. But what we have here is to do it in real time. So I'm with you, Kairos. There is that ability, but there was always that ability to capture people in the throes of doing wrongness, badness. Now, for me, um, I don't think that will ever stop because you've got fighters who aren't perfect individuals, aren't perfect human beings, and they, sooner or later, are bound to fuck up and it will be captured. Yeah, no, I... So, so yes. Yeah, no, I, I, I see merits to both sides of the argument and taking it away from, from mixed martial arts... Um, the advancement in technology and flip phones and, and video cameras and whatever has gotten Premier League footballers into so much trouble over like the last 20 or 15 years. Like uh, you hear about um, older players who are now pundits, like uh, commentators and whatever. They talk about all the stuff that they used to get away with in like in the 70s and the 80s and maybe even like the, the early 90s. Um, they were like, oh, well, we'd be able to go out for and like have loads of pints and get absolutely wasted and blah, blah, blah. And then people would still turn up to training the next day. But nowadays, a footballer has one, but they might even just be having one drink or whatever on a night out. They get snapped by some Joe Schmo who then sells the, the photo one to a newspaper or a, or a website and what have you. And then they're branded, oh, so-and-so is drinking excessively before it, X, Y, and Z. And I think, as, as it pertains to fighters, I think it's a good and a bad thing how they can interact with fans and how they can market themselves that way. But it's a double-edged sword because now fight, uh, fans can also get hold of fighters' details. I mean, look at the situation with the douchebag who called Courage Blades and uh, after he'd been knocked out and called and said, oh, you just got knocked the fuck out af afterwards. I mean, there's goods and there's good and there's, there's bad to it, but I, I, that's... I, as, as Kyra said, I think it's just, I don't want to say that we're in a sport of, of fuck-ups because there's fuck-ups in all walks of all different sports. I mean, I think that we we kind of think that, I, I think we think there are a lot more fuck-ups because obviously we're so deeply immersed into the sport and we, we, we consume everything every single day. And then when we see a fuck-up from somebody where it becomes hot news, it becomes a, a hot topic. But yeah, I think we're now in a situation where where people are, are, are mix fans are mixing regularly with fighters and what have you. I think that even just an off the cuff comment or whatever could land people in trouble. And I think, yeah, like you say, Kairos, yeah, some people are gonna 
end up in trouble soon. And I think, yeah, especially like when we're talking about like the the ever-growing platforms like Twitter Spaces and uh, Clubhouse and, and what have you, where somebody could just say something that is um, taken completely out of context and then people can be like, oh, so-and-so said this word and blah, blah, like, or it was, was I, I don't know, was was anti-LGBTQ or what have you. And I mean, yeah, I've, I, I think we're going to have some, some regular fuck-ups from people. <laughs> And we've seen this before. I remember when the UFC first tried to get onto Snapchat. And like, so they were handing out a lot of these fighters private Snapchats and with their consent, of course, they asked them yeah. for it. And they would, and these fighters would put their Snapchats on Twitter. And I added so many of these fighters. I added Dominic Cruz. I added Cowboy. I added Ronda Marcos. I added so many people on Snapchat. And I remember there were some people who were posting some stuff. And luckily, I'm surprised some of it didn't come back. I'm not going to say it. Some, some stuff was posted on their Snapchats. And I remember shortly after the UFC stop trying to be like oh follow so-and-so on snapchat because the shit was bad there was like yeah. some i was like wow they're really living like that damn what type of things were going down because i never downloaded snapchat i, I was never a snapchat <laughs> i'm gonna tell you when we aren't or, or can you cut this up no i'm gonna tell you <laughs> off because it's bad it was, <laughs> was bad wow i'm looking okay. forward to it all right well speaking speaking of uh of, of bad stuff and this is <clears throat> Yeah, th this topic. Uh, well, we all, we all saw what happened. Breaking news on early on on what day are we on? On Tuesday morning, I've lost track of days. Um, that Hamza Chimaev seemingly appeared to have announced his retirement from mixed martial arts due to the lingering after effects of COVID nineteen, which he just can't seem to shake and seem to have, well, I, I assume wrecked havoc with his cardiovascular system. Now, obviously, he put out a rather emotional statement saying that. I think I'm done with this, guys. And then he subsequently posted a, a photo of him uh, with in, in, by a sink with lots of blood. And I'm assuming that he's been coughing up blood uh, during during his recovery from the, uh, the the long lingering after effects of COVID. But shortly afterwards, John Morgan of MMA Junkie spoke to UFC President Dana White, who immediately just came out and uh, dismissed the notion of Hamzat being retired. And I think. One of the words that he used was he was he's emotional. He's being overly emotional of the situation, and he basically was suggesting that Hamzat was being, I don't know, a, a bit short-sighted and not thinking of the the long term and the potential for him to recover. And then subsequently, the uh, the leader of the the Chechen Republic, or well, the dictator dictator of the Chechen Republic, we we have to say say things that as it is, uh, Ramzan Kadyrov came out and claimed that he steered Chimaev back on the path and he's, he's he's not retiring so i wanted to get your guys thoughts on on the, the whole situation uh in particular white and ramzan kadyrov's comments on the potential retirement of hamzat chimaev who i believe hasn't gone back on social media since announcing or saying that he thinks he's done so i'm gonna go first to kairos on this kairos what were your thoughts on dana white's re reaction on claiming the Chimaev was being emotional and the subsequent statement from Ramzan Kadyrov. I think this sends the absolute worst message ever. It, it sound, <clears throat> essentially, it's looking at me like slavery. I'm just going to keep you guys, I'll keep it a being with you. We, we've seen Habib try and walk away and Dana's having none of it. We've seen a, a Hamzat walk away because of fucking life-threatening health issues. And mm -hmm. then you hear Dana say, nah, he's just like, in what universe are we going to not respect people's 
choices. I, I don't I don't understand how we can sit here and rationalize and be like, oh well, Hamza's such a promising guy. It's a good thing that Dana convinced him and that a Chet and that he, the leader of the country <laughs> wanted to steer him out away from retirement. Guys, it this doesn't this isn't normal. This doesn't sound good. This I don't like the way that this sounds at all. Because you know what it's got me thinking now I'm thinking to myself, what if there are fighters in the past in the UFC who wanted to retire, but Dana continuously hounded them and made them continuously fight? And what if that had long-term effects on them? What if that's the reason why certain fighters like, I don't know, BJ Penn are the way that they are? What if that's the reason why certain fighters like Clay Guida and a lot of and Diego Sanchez and all these other fighters who've taken long lasting damage to them? Maybe it wasn't their warrior spirit that kept them in the sport for this song. What if it was Dana White manipulating them and turning their hand and making them stay in the game longer than what they should have done? Maybe it wasn't a question of having money. Maybe it was a question of them being motivated in, none of, in another way. I don't like it one bit. I don't like it at all. Yeah, likewise. I mean, and and can you imagine the the situation that that Chimaev is is in right now? I mean, he's had the leader of uh, of Chechnya call him, and basically, I've, I don't want to surmise what's been said on the phone or what of what have you, but he's he's implored him to to continue. And I mean, that's a hell of a situation to find himself in. The thing that kind of like baffles me, <clears throat> I'm surprised nobody has raised this already. Um, I'm not talking about on shots fired, but I'm talking about elsewhere. Dana has this consistent message that he sent out to fighters, to media, to anybody watching. Now we know he's the biggest gaslighter, but he said this, if a fighter is talking about retirement, they should retire and we should be respectful of that. And they are the best judge of their career and their direction. So why is it that in the last two cases, Khabib the Megamadov, now Kamzat Chemaev, he's now telling them they are not retired after they have plainly said, and you can get no more plainer, no more clearer, no more transparent than blood in a sink from a man who is going through COVID as a mark of retirement. Respect the man's wishes, but as well as that, you know... As Kairos, uh, you know, uh, expertly said, and um, I think I'm going to repeat the same phrase because as the majority of our listeners are American, it will have resonance. I'm going to keep it a beam. We're talking about a dictator, not only dictating to his people, but dictating to his friends, colleagues and business associates. So we would not expect anything else from this dictator when he's talking about Kamzat Chemaev. There is no way that there was a discussion there. There was an order, there was an edict, in my humble opinion, that was handed down. And that edict, it looks as though, is going to be seen through. Yeah, no, We've got a dictator dictating terms, essentially saying, you will fight. Think about the Chechen people. Think about the people who are behind you. Think about the message that it says. You are a status symbol. You are a role model. You cannot retire that order has been heard and that order more than likely will be carried out yeah man I, I, and well we, we we can only hope that it looks like Jemayev will come back at, at some point obviously he hasn't come out and released a subsequent statement on on the matter but I, I i just hope that he doesn't fight for the rest of the year i hope they give him as long as possible for for him to try get get over this but as a lot of scientific data has shown that some people have irreparable damage 
done to them by COVID-19 and they might not ever be the same cardiovascular wise ever again. If you're coughing up blood, that is a signal you should not be competing. So in the face of that evidence, you put it down to being emotional. The man had blood in the sink. Dana, give it a rest. It reminds me, I mean, I put out a meme about this, but it reminds me of WandaVision where Wanda actually creates this world entirely to suit herself, entirely of her own... Um, her own love, her own interests, her things that make her happy. That's what Dana's doing with the UFC. Look, I'm creating this entity and it's going to make me happy. So I want you in this. You know, I haven't seen One Division yet. Uh, I have heard, I've heard good things about it. Amazing. But I, I, I just forget, I completely forgot that she's, uh, she's the third Olsen sister. Yes, same, yeah. same. I was on episode four when I worked that out. I was like, well, I was like, okay. I was like, what is this the same? I was like, yeah, she's the, she's the youngest one, yeah. God, but yeah, I know. I, I I get I get what you're saying about about Dana White. Ideally, you'd well, I I I hope that he's not rushing him to to come back. But I think I read somewhere that there's talk about him fighting in June or what have you. But that's wow. not, I maybe maybe I've just misread that or what have you. But that's not anywhere near enough time to to recover man not anywhere near enough time to recover like i said let him take the whole of 2020 off i mean he's only 26 uh, i mean let him recover it's it's not uh it's, it's not going to be that detrimental to his to his career if he does take that time off but just don't rush him back just do not rush him back because imagine if there was a situation where if, I, heaven forbid, I'm going to touch some wood right now that where his cardiovascular system failed him in a fight because yeah. of COVID. Like, I mean, I've not to, I hate to put bad things into the air, but this is something that you have to think about when, when, uh, when you're pushing somebody to whose cardiovascular endurance system has uh, been compromised when you're pushing them back to action. Crazy. I know. This is like this is this is scary to think about because that's immediately what I thought. I was like, this is going to be a serious learning experience for us as fight fans because we might see someone. MMA fans aren't like boxing. Boxing fans have seen people die in the ring. Boxing yeah. fans have seen people take irreparable damage, go to the hospital, and die that same night. We've seen it. Ha they've seen it happen tons and tons of times. I'm not a boxing fan, but even I'm aware of it. This could be this. This could if it isn't handled correctly, this could turn out to be something like that. And if we're going to keep it honest, we know damn well Hamzat is one of the toughest people on the planet. Like the man, we yeah. know he's tough. So for him to get up, get up there and tell us, guys, it's not looking good for me. I don't feel good. I yeah. think it's time for me to walk away. Yeah. Think about what that really means. He, the fact that he said that and then said it to millions of people, he flat, he flat out told y'all. So it must be serious. And yet y'all is trying to line him up for another fight in, in May or whatever. Like, bro, I'm telling yeah. you this right yeah. now. I'm telling you this right now. If he fights, I, I really don't think it's going to be – it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good for the sport. It's not going to be good for him. We might see something that we wish we hadn't. Well, touch wood that that doesn't happen. And what, what have you – I mean, it looks like both men are going to get what they want in terms of Chimaev competing again. It's, and while <laughs> – while we love him, like we, we love, we love what he's done so far, and like the splash that he's made, or some people don't like him and think that he's overrated or what have you. Health becomes uh, health comes before everything else, man. And 
hopefully he's allowed to recover for as long as possible. Well, we haven't got long to wait until the next set of fights that we're going to be uh, talking about. UFC 259 rolls around this coming weekend. And I do believe, um, if I'm not mistaken, um, Chisanga, that you spoke to one of the key figures that will be uh, on the main card. Because really and truly, we can talk about this card from top to bottom. It is, I know this is an old cliche, but I can't think of any other word to describe it. It is stacked. Let's just not even touch the title fight. Jan Blakowicz and Israel Adesanya, Amanda Nunes and Megan Anderson, Megan Anderson, Piotr Jan and Aljamain Sterling. The entire main card is just fire. Thiago um, Santos and uh, Alexander Rakic. I can't wait to see that. I cannot wait. Yeah, that's good for me. That's going to be an absolute barn burner because I think Thiago's got a lot to prove after that loss to uh, to Glover Teixeira. Mm. In that fight, I think he was a bit tentative and obviously you would do because he basically, did, well, did he tear uh, his ligaments in both knees? I know he, he completely tore one knee in that fight with John Jones. So you would be tentative uh, going back into your, your first, your first fight back from major, major surgery, but something about this fight t- tells me that he's just going to come out guns a blazing early doors and that this, well, th- this fight isn't going to go the distance. And the main, uh, the main Carter who I spoke to obviously was the opposite side of this fight, Alexander Rakic, which we previewed his, uh, his showdown with Tiago. So people just check it out right now. Hi, Alexander. How are you doing? Hey, I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. I'm good. Thanks. Are you still in quarantine in the hotel room right now? or? No, not yet. We're going to enter today the UFC hotel. We went, uh, me and my team came uh, five days ago. We stayed in the, in the other hotel just to acclimate mm-hmm. because it's a long flight from, from Europe here and the time difference is nine hours. So we came earlier to acclimate and uh, today we're gonna enter the UFC hotel and the bubble, and then we're gonna be quarantined for one or two days. I don't know. Okay, and obviously this is your, your your second time being back in Vegas, fighting in Vegas. It's a it's a different vibe. Obviously, there's not going to be any fans. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's the second time, and uh, I I love fans, and mm. I love I love how they cheer, and I love the audience. But in other way. Without fans, I can hear my coaches even better. I can hear my opponent breathing. I can hear his corner. So it's it's some positive things or it's some negative things, mm-hmm. you know. But for me, I enjoy it also without fans because uh, this is a sport and, and, and yeah. The, the people, we live in this technology now. Everybody can take out the phone and watch the fight, you know. And yeah, but I'm I'm hoping soon there's gonna be fans in the arena and they cheer for for us. Okay, so obviously um, you you only managed to fight t- once in 2020 because of obviously the the pandemic. How was 2020 for you in general, like for yourself and your family? Was it a time that you managed to like heal up or and like to spend some more time with your friends and family, or was it was it a difficult time because like a lot of people were struggling emotionally during that time as well. Yeah, I mean, 2020 for myself and my, for my family was a good year. Mm-hmm. I won the fight against Anthony Smith. Seven days later, I married my wife. Oh, congratulations. And, yes. Thank you. And a couple of days later, my, my, sir, my son turned one year old. And we had a lot of things to celebrate. And also, uh, you know, we, we didn't have COVID-19. My, all my family was, was healthy. And yeah, 
this lockdown thing was 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 a plus for myself. I I spend a lot of time with my family and and with my son. So basically, 2020 was another year for me. Okay, that's good. And moving on to the fight itself. Obviously, you're fighting uh, Tiago Santos on, on on Saturday night. What did you make of Tiago's uh, performance in, in in his last fight? Because for a lot of people, he seemed to be uh, well. I know he's recovering from uh, from the double knee surgery, but he seemed to be a bit tentative. He wasn't the same Tiago that fought uh, John Jones the the previous summer. Yeah, yeah. The fight against John Jones, he did very well, and he came out of the fight with two injured knees. Mm-hmm. So the surgery he does uh, took very long. Uh, I know it for myself. I had also a knee surgery twice on one knee. And uh, I know how long does it take to get back, and not only physically, also mentally. And you could see in the fight against Glover that he was a little bit uh, tense, and, and you, you, you saw the ring rust, you know. He didn't fight for one year and uh, then two, yeah. three months. But still dangerous. He dropped Glover two or three times. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting Thiago going to be now more relaxed and... and, and uh, more dangerous than than against Glover and yeah you never know you know he's an explosive explosive guy with uh, wild style doing wild stuff capoeira things jumping mm-hmm. around flying knees everything else so uh, we are, I'm gonna be ready for that and I know what he can bring to the table and you you touched on it there he is uh, he is very wild he's very eccentric he's uh, he's a difficult guy to really prepare for how have you gone about doing that I had amazing sparring partners back in, uh, in Croatia where I did my training camp in an American top team. I had uh, very heavy guys, also heavyweights. I brought uh, also pure kickboxers in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that Santos preferred the standing uh, stand up fight. So, uh, and and my sparring partners was uh, trying to to simulate him, and they did really good, and uh, I felt very good in the sparring was a hard time there, a hard sparring session, but uh, it went everything good with no injuries and yeah, we are ready to go. And obviously, I, I know you, you're never the, the type of fighter to look too far ahead and in, into the future. That's one thing that um, that quite impresses me about your demeanor because I know a lot of fighters always think, oh, after this fight, I want to do X, Y, and Z. But given the fact that you're not ranked number four in, uh, in, in the light, light heavyweight rankings, are you at all perhaps thinking that an impressive win over Tiago could get you a title shot? Yes, of course. I mean, if I win, if I win with a highlight real knockout mm-hmm. or a great performance, you know, the UFC loves that and they love entertaining. But for me, it's important to, to be ice, like ice cold and mm-hmm. to win, you know, doesn't matter how. For me, is the win important, and uh, we're gonna see what uh, what what the U- in what what the UFC decides because the UFC decides Glover is in front. So we're gonna see what happened with Jan and and Izzy, yeah. and then Glover is stepping in. So you never know, you know. I'm gonna sit back, I'm gonna stay tight, and I'm gonna see what the UFC wants. But of course, uh, one of my dreams is to get the title mm-hmm. and I'm fighting for the title. And you you, t- you touched on it there on the main event. What's your predictions uh, for, for the main event? Because it's a stylistically, it's a fascinating matchup, and obviously because Izzy's moving up in weight. Yeah, uh, my prediction for this fight uh, is if the fight goes to the distance, uh, Israel 
gonna win by decision. Mm-hmm. Either fight goes to the ground or to the clinch. I see Jan uh, in favor and uh, yeah, draining his energy and maybe finishing him. Yeah, that that's my prediction. And I think um, I'm I'm trying to get my dates right. I think in two days it will be the I think fourth anniversary of you uh, winning your last fight in Austrian Fight Challenge before you got the contract to fight for the UFC. How would you assess your your time in in the UFC since then? Because it's it's I've it's been a bit of a roller coaster, hasn't it? I mean, like obviously you um you you had the uh, the four fight or five fight win streak and then the loss to Uzdemir, but your time in the UFC has been very impressive so far. Yeah, yeah, you are uh, right. Uh, four years ago, I fought in the the last last time in Austria. Then I sent to the UFC. Man, it's it's been an amazing ride. Four years now in the UFC, the time goes so fast, and I'm mm. I'm improving every day, every fight. You, you see a better version of Alexander Rakic, and uh, yeah, that's amazing. I had great fights, uh, and and also the Volkan Özdemir fight. I didn't felt like a loser in this fight. I lost my split decision, but everybody who understands MMA knows who the winner is. So mm-hmm. I'm basically undefeated in the UFC, uh, only on the papers, not. But uh, doesn't matter because uh, you, you saw what the UFC, UFC gave me after that fight, even a better ranked opponent, Anthony Smith, and I went through him like nothing. And now, again, having the chance to fight the number two ranked uh, in the world, that means a lot to me, and the UFC knows that I'm a prospect for them, a prospect and a, and a, and a, and a, and a um, title challenger mm-hmm. soon. So it's amazing. It's amazing, and it's one of my dreams, you know, came true. So yeah, it's I love my job, and I'm enjoying every second of the of of, of, of this time right now. All right, and there's going to be a final question for me. I, I appreciate the time, Alexander. How do you foresee this fight with Thiago playing out? wild in the first round he want to surprise me with some uh, some some uh, kicks some 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 wild punches close the distance you know try to 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 be in his uh, in his range to box with me and yeah throwing this uh wild kicks uh, flying elbows like this i expect the first round gonna be uh like uh you're gonna be explosive but I'm getting used to this. Uh, my 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 sparrings and my, my my training camp. All of those guys put so much pressure on me, and I'm getting used to this pressure right now. And yeah, I'm ready for three rounds of hell. I'm ready for three rounds of pure dominance. I'm ready in the stand-up position, in the wrestling position, in the grappling position. If it comes to the wrestling and grappling, and of course, I would love to knock him out in the first round and coming out with uh, no injuries. But you never know. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to say I'm knocked him out in the first or, or the second or the third. I'm gonna go just in there, be ice cold, and pick my shots. And if someone goes through, it's gonna be bye bye. But we're gonna see. All right, Alexander, thank you very much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck this weekend. All right, folks, and we are back now. So, Michael. What are your thoughts on this matchup between Alexander Rakic? I mean, Alexander Rakic and Thiago Santos. I mean, Alexander Rakic, he obviously only has the one loss in the octagon so far. And I believe that was to Volkan Ozdemir, but that was a disputed uh, disputed uh, defeat for Rakic. What are your thoughts on the fight? And in particular, how confident Alexander is going into it? 
let's face it, look, Alexander Rakic is a nightmare. Indelible uh, as it is in my brain, I find it very, very hard for anybody. I mean, just park that aside. I mean, I, I shudder to say this, but when he fought Jimmy Manuel oh, and that finish, the way in which he... He slayed that man. I, I will never forget that. that. That gives me like chills thinking about it. I'm literally sitting here and that's giving me chills. So I personally feel as though the confidence in the way that he's approaching this is not out of place. This guy is on fire. He's ferocious. And not only that, I, I think it's a problem for the light heavyweight division. And um, don't get me wrong, Thiago Santos is a beast, but... There are levels, as they say, to this shit. And let's not forget as well, I mean, father time. Thiago Santos is 37 now, man. And Alexander Rakic is 28, 29. Kairos, what's your thoughts on, on that? This might be another Rosenstrike versus gone. This might be wow. a serious scenario where I think Thiago is sitting back and he's tentative and he's throwing zero volume. And I think Reiki just says, okay, fine. I'm comfortable racking up points, throwing 10 strikes in a round and it going to a decision like, guys, I'm just going to keep it a buck with you. We, all of our heroes get old. They get old. And yeah. Thiago has fought like this for quite some time. And it might be – watching that Glover fight, I just like – what people don't realize that a lot of these knee injuries are like 95% mental. It is like yep. 5% physical, 95% mental. And watching him fight in that fight, I was just like, he's afraid to get hurt again. I could see it. I could see it in the way he walked. I could see it in the way he moved on that. He is afraid to get hurt again. And maybe he worked that out in between last fight and this fight, but I doubt it because cer certain psychological blocks like that are very hard to break for people because they either can run through the wall or it takes years and he's up there in AIDS, and that's a traumatic injury. I, I don't see this being as exciting. I hope it's exciting. Don't get me wrong. I want it to be exciting, but I'm not going to put my hat on it. I'm just not. And I'm picking Rakic, <laughs> flat-out decision. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm picking, I'm picking Rakic to, to, to get the job Rakic, done. Sorry. And let's, let's not forget, like if Rakic, I believe he's ranked number four right now. If he was to start Thiago Santos, I have a funny, funny feeling that Glover Teixeira is going to end up being the bridesmaid, not the bride. And that he, <laughs> he'd probably end up getting a title shot ahead of him. Because what you got to think of as well, you got to think of the, the longevity of the division. Do you give, uh, do you give Glover the winner of uh, Izzy versus uh, Jan? And say Glover, Glover wins, Glover's not going to be around for the next five years. Glover, Glover's probably going to be done, I think, probably within... I'm I'm not trying to bring the curtain down in his career or whatever, but I probably think Glover's probably got another 18 months or so before he retires. Yeah. So I think I think Rakic, I think he probably knows that a title shop is within his grasp, and I think that he's going to be more motivated as hell to get a stoppage, in fact, an emphatic stoppage victory. Sorry. How about you, Karis? I didn't didn't get a gauge on what you're looking forward to um, this Saturday. Um, I really like Drew Dober and Islam Makachev because it's about time we've seen what Islam can do. Like, there have been yeah. talks. D DC's like, he could be the next champion. He has better striking than Habib already. And you got, um, who was it who said that Islam would out-wrestle Habib in a straight wrestling match? Yeah. DC said that bullshit? I think it was, yeah, it was DC that said that, yeah. 
I heard that. I was like, ain't no fucking way. So it's time for us to figure it out right now. Like he, he had an impressive performance when he um, KO'd, who was it? Gleason Tebow. I was like, okay, this dude really do got the hands. No one, t- yeah. no one touches Gleason like that, but we got to see what he can do against tougher challenges. And this is, this is a good start. Uh, I like that fight as well, but on the prelims, I'm interested in, Hinata Souza versus Amanda Limos because you guys know I'm a huge mixed martial arts fan. I'm just curious to see if this is too much for Limos because Hinata Souza is her ranking is a, a little bit low. She should probably be a lot higher. She should probably be in the top, I think, seven to eight. I think she's sitting at like outside the 10 right now. So um, I, I think this is too much for Limos. This is her, what, second or third fight under the UFC banner. And one of them was the contender series. So it should be interesting for me, at least. What about you not looking forward to? All right, I'll, I'll go back to uh, the Islam fight. Everybody, like I've spoken to multiple, multiple people at American Top Team, and they've all told me that, and they've all told me that literally Islam is, I, I'm going to use a UK word. He is the dog's bollocks, a UK idiom. Sorry, he is the dog's bollocks. That he <laughs> is what everybody says says he is. And additionally, Coach Javier, uh, Coach Javier has talked about, oh, there's one person who loses rounds to in the gym, blah blah blah, and he told me that Islam Makachev is said person who loses, he loses the rounds to in the gym. So, uh, I, I mean, obviously competition and gym, being in the gym are co- two completely different things. But if that's true, man, we really just haven't seen, <laughs> I'm looking at Kairos right now. We haven't seen, we haven't seen the best of Islam. But as you say, it's about time because I, for one, don't know how he's got his ranking without beating anybody in the rankings. So, but We'll see. We'll see what he's what he's made of. I is Dober ranked fifteen, or he was ranked fifteen at one point. But um, we'll see. But anyway, I can see you're about to explode from Islam. We'll move away from that. No, uh, let's talk about it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let, we need to talk about this. I'm not gonna let you get this off. You know what? No, I'm not gonna. Those motherfuckers at American, not Americans, at AKA are the biggest fucking liars on the planet. How the fuck does Habib beat DC? Beat beat uh, Luke Rockhold, beat all his huge dudes in fucking rounds and doesn't lose a round, but he's going to lose a round to Islam Makhachev. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck <laughs> out of here with that bullshit. You're going to tell me he's out wrestling DC who has to cut weight to get to heavyweight, but he's losing rounds to Islam Makhachev. These motherfuckers, this is why, I, yo, they lie so fucking much underneath that roof. I don't even know what the truth is. Gabe Velasquez trains underneath that roof for God's fucking sake. And they said that he'll be, be taking him down. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. No, he ain't. No, 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 no. <laughs> Islam could be a phenomenal fighter, but stop making up mythological stories about these fucking fighters under the root. You guys, think, you guys must think we're so fucking dumb. Like this, y'all must think we are so dumb to believe this bullshit. And there are some people who do, but not me. No, no. <laughs> oh, I think we know what is going to be the video excerpt <laughs> this, this this episode. <laughs> Oh my god! All right, right. Man. you must be excited for. Well, I think this is obviously. I don't want to say it's kind of a crossroads fight, but it's an interesting fight to to gauge where he's still at. The Dominic Cruz fight against Casey oh, Kenny, yeah. because obviously Dominic had the four year layoff going into the Henry Cejudo fight, but we still haven't seen like the noticeable drop off in performance. Well, obviously the Cody Garbrandt loss, Garbrandt just outclassed him. Team Alpha Male had the perfect game plan. I mean, Justin Buckholz has been preparing for Dominic Cruz so many times. He can mimic his movements perfectly, so they had the perfect game plan for that. And in the loss to Henry Cejudo, Henry Cejudo had the had the great game plan, 
and I, I think it was more that the defeat to for Dominic so sorry was more so with Cejudo being very very good rather than Dominic being very very bad so we don't really know where Dominic Cruz is. Is, is 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 he on the decline is he still the same or I mean we'll we'll find out especially against a, a, an uppercomer like Casey Kenny I mean I'm I... I'm the I'm the biggest Dominic Cruz fan in the world. Like that guy got me through some like seeing how he handled his ACL surgeries yeah. and multiple forms of adversity helped me get through mine. Like I took inspiration from him. So if there's anybody who's always believing in him, it's gonna be me. But I'm gonna be honest with you, <clears throat> he's on the decline and we don't see it because he's so inactive. Like that's the biggest he's pre he's given us examples that ring rust isn't a factor and all this other stuff, but it is, it is very much a factor. And just because you dodged it a few times when you came back one out of two or three out of four times, doesn't negate it. It's a very real thing. And it happens. It just does. And I'm not going to say that I think Casey Kenny can beat him. I'm picking Dominic Cruz to win, but I do think he's declining and he's getting up there in age. And I think the game is starting to evolve towards him. And he, when you look at Dominic Cruz, all of his best attributes are so great, but everything else is incredibly low. His, he's not very flexible. His strike selection is very limited. When he takes you down, it's for ground control. He's not holding you down there. So his game, unless he's drastically improved everything that he has not shown us to improve upon, he's going to be the same Dominic Cruz that we're used to seeing. And the yeah. game is not in 2003. And you're not going against Uriah Faber anymore. You're not going against jo Joseph Benavides anymore. You're not going against undersized bantamweights and flyweights anymore. You're going against real bantamweights, and it's going to be a problem. And we Are seen... we really doing this, though? Because Casey Kenny, who did he fight before? Was it Dominic? Nathaniel Wood. Nathaniel Wood. I believe. Now, I think, yeah. No, you, you're right. Um, Dominic Cruz, you're right, Kairos. He's on the decline. But that's why he's been given Casey Kenny. Casey Kenny, yes, um, is a live dog. Yes, he's an up-and-comer. But he's hardly like, you know, Mr. Sharpshooting Killer. He's hardly like the ninja on the grassy knoll. He's hardly, what I'm saying is, we know what the outcome is given where Dominic is and where Casey is. I just can't see Casey coming through Dominic Cruz. I just can't see it. I didn't say he did. What, is that what you took from that? Yeah. You took the wrong thing. I'm saying even through all that, he's still better than Casey. Yeah. But even if he wins this fight, he loses in the end because you look at the. This is the worst possible time you could ever be successful with Bantamweight. You have TJ coming back. You mm -hmm. have Cody deciding not to go back down to 125. He's back at 135. You got guys like Cheeto, Sean, and all these people coming up in the rankings. Like this is the most competitive Bantamweight has been in the last five years maybe the last seven years. So that's, I'm looking more towards the future. Ain't no fucking way a guy named Casey Kenny's beating Dominic Cruz. I'm sorry. It ain't yeah. fucking happening. But I'm just I saying that people are just going to chop this clip. Ain't no <laughs> <way>. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I can see it happening now. It, it is. Now, what I believe Dominic one Cruz. Not easy. <laughs> <laughs> do that. Do that. But I'm just saying like, um, yeah, it's, it's just, I'm worried for him. I'm worried for him because when he wins, he's going to be in a more fucked up position than he was. This is true. This is true. All right. What What are people's thoughts on the title fights? We got We got to get to these like these delectable title fights that have been bestowed upon us. Three consecutive bangers. I mean, oh man, I, literally, <laughs> yeah. I'm doing the Spice Adam as soon as I saw that thing. Like, just ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. 
Oh, Matt. Mike, what's it, what, what, what are your predictions for the, um, for the three title fights? And you can go in any order. Okay. Piotian and Aljamain Sterling. Now, because of what I brought to the table this week, because of that kind of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That misstep by Piotr Jan, he's, he's put him, he's, well, that's put him in my bad books. And I would like to see him get a solid, solid submission um, from Aljamain Sterling. I, I want to see him unconscious, but I just can't see it. Piotr Jan is dangerous. Piotr yeah. Jan's too fast. Piotr Jan's too wily. And Jan versus Sterling, I, I hate to say this, but I do see Piotr Jan um, having his arm raised and still. Amanda Nunes, uh, Megan Anderson, come on, this is one-way traffic. This is going to be kind of like, I yes, think this will be right. done in the second round. I really do see this kind of like being dominance from Amanda Nunes. And as for Jan Blakowicz and Israel Andersanya, Polish power all the way. It hurts me to say this because yeah. Izzy is a beast in his weight category, but he's going up to light heavyweight where Jan has proven to be like ferocious, a force to be reckoned with. And the way that I look at it, I, I just think that in, in my mind's eye, the romanticized view of Israel Adesanya being a two-weight champion, it, it's beautiful. But realistically, I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're looking at Polish power being dominant on Saturday. Yeah, man. Uh, for, for me, like as you said, I'd love to see Aljamain Sterling get his... Uh, Get, get a submission victory. But I think in that fight, Jan's been, Jan's been pretty hard to take down early doors as well. And that's something that Al Jermaine will have, will have to do in order to get this victory. And the longer the fight goes, we've seen that uh, Peter Jan just, his cardio just improves kind of like Togi, Tony Ferguson of like three or four years ago. And he just gets better and better. And pains me to say this, um, I'd love to see Al Jermaine get, get his hands on the title, but I think Piotr is going to win. As for Amanda Nunes and Megan Anderson, I think I think Amanda's going to win via third-round TKO. That's that's my prediction. I think Megan will put up a bit more sterner resistance than a lot of people are expecting, but I think ultimately Amanda will oppose her will, will on her. And, I mean, it, it could even be done in the first round. I mean, we all see all these women go into the fight with – Obviously, there's a there's a degree of, of fear of and respect of what Amanda does, but we all see the look in their faces after Amanda lands that first stinging right hand. Mm. They're all deer deers in the headlight. Like, well, I don't even think that's the right metaphor for it. It's, it's worse. Like, it's just the realization. Like, what's that song that is played on all the TikToks and vines and whatever? Oh no. Oh no! Oh no! No! no. <laughs> it's literally like that. You know what I mean? That, that's yes. like if somebody, Kairos, that's that's your job. You need to make a confirmation of all the times that Amanda Nunes has cracked somebody with the right hand, and they have have a look on their head, on their faces, and then put that song to it. That's pretty easy to do. All right, I got you. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I'm I'm torn on the on the Jan Blakovich Israel Adesanya one, man. I mean. Jan hasn't fought uh, a striker with such a diverse arsenal as Israel Adesanya. And I spoke to him last week and he's saying, yeah, we brought in adequate sparring partners to prepare for him and, and what have you. We got everything covered. 
and while I don't doubt his uh, his claim that they brought in excellent sparring partners, but there's nobody on the planet who can replicate is what Israel Adesanya does. He's the most dynamic striker in mixed martial arts. The way he mixes things up, the way he, he switches from stances, what the way I can't remember what fight it was where he switched stance through a spinning back kick and then followed up with a spinning kick as well. I mean, it's just such a such a pleasure to watch on the feet and. I mean, his, his takedown defense is good. Obviously, remember uh, Derek Brunson had to try cheat and pull down his shorts to try get him uh, <laughs> down to the ground. And even then, he couldn't do that. But for me, I I don't know. I think, in fact, no, I'm going to go Adesanya to win on points. That okay. is my, that's my prediction. I think he's just going to stay on the outside. He's going to, I think he might even have a reach advantage over Yeah, Like Israel Adesanya has got some long ass arms. But if I'm wrong, people feel free to come at me. But I think he's going to stay on the outside. He's going to be wary of that Polish power because it's uh, it's it's a serious, serious thing. And I think he's just going to outpoint him. Gyrus? Listen, y'all are sleeping on Aljamain Sterling, and here's why. This man doesn't need to get a takedown. He just needs to threaten you with it. He just has to have that threat in the back of your mind. I remember him watching him go toe-to-toe with Pedro Munoz and yeah. absolutely out-voluming him for every single round. We know that Yan starts off slow. All Aljamain has to do is get ahead. He just has to get ahead and force Yan to either speed up to compensate for that discrepancy in pace or he's just going to run away. All he has to do is win three rounds and survive. That's all he has to do is win three rounds. And Aljamain is more than capable of doing that. He is strong. He is big. And he can keep that output forever. We might see him rack up close to 100, 150 now. We, we might see him hit 120 significant strikes, whether it's thrown or landed. He's going he's gonna to hit that 100 mark. And it's only a question of his, if Yang can get him out there or outstrike him in those rounds. I'm telling you, Aljamain is nothing to be trifled with. Y'all can y'all cannot like him. Y'all can like whatever you want. He's nothing to be trifled with. And I'm picking him. I'm picking him either 49-48. Yeah, I'm picking 49-48. I think he can easily scratch out three rounds. And I don't think Yan is going to be able to finish him. And I don't think he gets a 10-8 round anywhere in there to make the scorecards different. Following that, I think Amanda Nunes and Megan Anderson is going to play out a little bit like how GDR Amanda played because Megan is sneaky. Megan's sneaking on Orthodox, and she's going to touch Amanda at least once or twice with some heavy shots. And then Amanda's just going to wrestle the shit out of her. She's just going to wrestle the shit out of her, and that's going to be that for the end of the fight. Any success Megan has is going to be here and gone. I don't necessarily think that Amanda's going to strike with her for 25 minutes or try and knock her out. I think as soon as she feels Megan's power and she's like, all right, well, I got power too, but I don't need to show it. I'm just going to, this is MMA. We're going to grapple. I think that's going to be the fight. Um, as far as Yan versus Izzy goes, y'all are tripping. Y'all are tripping. You guys <laughs> are trying to get me to believe that Yan, the man who struggled against Shakare, is going to be the greatest striker that has ever transitioned into mixed martial arts. Y'all really want me to believe that in a striking match? He's going to outstrike the greatest striker we ever seen? Not to mention, we all want to talk about how well he looked against Dominic Reyes. Dominic Reyes did not look good in that fight. And Yan still was struggling, not struggling, but Yan took a little bit to get started. I'm not resting no faith in Yan in this fight. I, I might, we might even see Yan get embarrassed. This might be one of the more embarrassing fights we see. Just like how I thought Costa was going to be embarrassed. I think Yan is going to get embarrassed because one, he's slow as shit. Wow. He's slow. Light heavyweights aren't used to that speed. And he's incredibly bulky, and he has a very limited way of winning. If he doesn't knock out Israel, he's not winning. He has to knock him out, and that's a dangerous position. For you to knock out someone to win, no. I'm not betting nothing on you, no. 
Israel can win a decision. He can knock you out. We've seen him have an impressive ground game off the back, even though he hasn't had to use it. Like, Israel has routes to win. Yan doesn't have that many routes to win. That's it. Yeah, now I, I said Israel by points, so don't be lumping me in the same group as, as <laughs> Mike. <and Israel. laughs> we know who said what. You, you, you said, yo, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this, this gentleman, Mr. Morgan. But yeah, no, I think it's going to be, yeah, I've, I've, I know what you mean. Jan's, Jan's route to victory, it does lie in him knocking him out. It does lie in him landing, landing that big left hand or even the big, big body kick. Let's not forget, man. Do you, do you not remember the well on uh, Dominic Reyes's body on Dominic Reyes's right hand side when he landed those like those body kicks? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I, I just can't wait for this fight. I really can. I mean, both guys are really really nice as well. I mean, I think Ian Bohovic, the, the turning point for me. I know that he had uh, he beat Nikita Krylov before, um, well after he had the back to back losses to Patrick Cummins and Alexander Gustafsson. But the real turning point for me was at UFC London when he beat Jimmy Manu in that rematch. Because everybody really, Mike, and I'm sure you included, were picking Jimmy to, to, to handily beat him. Yeah. Everybody yeah. was. But he, he showed that he well and truly leveled up and put on a great performance. And, I mean, I, I like Jan Bohovic. He's, he's a nice guy. But I just don't think he's going to get the, his hand raised. And I think it's going to, unfortunately for him, be a short-lived title reign. Hmm. Well, we haven't got long to wait. Before then, though, as I mentioned earlier, we will be um, on Twitter Spaces with, <coughs> excuse me, with um, Robin Black and special guests. And if you wanted to follow us or any of the conversations that we've had, continue those on Twitter. I'm at Mike Woe TV. Where can people find you guys? Oh, people can find me on Twitter. And not on Snapchat, but you can find me on Instagram. I do the gram at Chisanga underscore Malata. You can find me on TikTok. Y'all better go on that TikTok and run it up, all right? We're taking over. I'm sick and tired of people hopping on TikTok and me messing up the perception of our sport. We got to get people out there. Like, remember that guy who was talking about why Connor lost to Dustin? We can't have that no more. We can't have that no more. T follow me on TikTok. Support me so we can get people like that the fuck out of there. Also, I'm on Twitter as well. Kyra Summit for both of them. Please, y'all. Please. We got to get these people out of here. On that note. We'll see you all on Twitter Spaces. Separate the weak from the opsa. Leap hard to creep them Brooklyn Street. It's on again. Stop all that bickering beat. Beat.